You're listening to Corner of the Galaxy Short Corner Edition on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Now here's your host, Josh Getzman. Welcome to another edition of Corner of the Galaxy Short Corner on cornerofthegalaxy.com, recording right here at COG Studios. I am your host, Josh Getzman, as Mr. Michael Araujo just told you. Happy to be back for another quick episode of Corner of the Galaxy Short Corner, so that way we can talk about something very exciting that happened. Obviously, you know, everybody already knows it happened, but as our last podcast said, we weren't quite ready to to tell you that there was actually going to be a season, and now there is. The LA Galaxy will face off against the Chicago Fire. If you're listening to this podcast tonight, Friday night at StubHub Center on Unamas, if you're looking for it on television, don't look for it on television. Get your butt to the stadium. Should be a great time as the LA Galaxy look to defend their 2015 championship. Their 2015 or 2014 championship, five championships now for the LA Galaxy. So, really exciting. But, like I said, we have a lot to talk about, about this collective bargaining agreement being signed. Uh, in order to do that, because I, uh, I I already embarrassed myself once whenever I tried to get all legal with everybody, um, I decided to invite somebody who's actually uh, who, who's actually in the legal field, in the legal profession. He's a Paul Hastings professor of business law at UCLA School of Law, also a frequent contributor to American Soccer Now as their legal analyst. Please welcome to the show, Steve Banks. Steve, thanks for joining me. Sure. Happy to be here. So, so you know, you and I have conversed over email after my first attempt at legal wrangling of the collective bargaining and, and single entity. And I wanted to know if we could start at, at sort of at the beginning here because I want to break this down and we'll, we'll get to some of the details of the collective bargaining agreement. But I want to put – I want to put – the listeners in the position of understanding the limits that single entity had on the negotiations from the very start. Sure. So the single entity, single entity is a defense to a legal claim that the uh, league is conspiring to restrain trade under the Sherman Antitrust Act. Mm-hmm. So the normal way of avoiding an antitrust lawsuit is through collective bargaining. Right. And that's what all the leagues, other sports leagues in America do. They do collective bargaining because otherwise none of these restrictions that you see in, in both the current CBA and in other uh, agreements would apply. They would all be restraints of trade. There shouldn't be any ability to have minimum salaries, maximum salaries, salary caps, any of that stuff. So most leagues use a, use a uh, collective bargaining agreement. problem is, is that uh, the, when the league was formed, uh, Alan Rothenberg uh, realized that uh, the NASL's downfall was overspending and needed a, a mechanism by which they could ensure cost containment and, and protect against any kind of an antitrust suit. Mm-hmm. So they created a vehicle that, that allows the league to avoid that by 
instead of having a whole bunch of independently owned teams, it's all one entity, mm-hmm. and that's the Major League Soccer. The players all have contracts with Major League Soccer. The uh, owners are really investor operators in the limited liability company that is Major League Soccer. Right. Uh, and uh, under Supreme Court rulings, a company can't conspire with itself, uh, and those rulings came up in situations where it had a corporation subsidiaries. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're doing here is, is they're, they're claiming they're a single entity. Now, there's a lot of uh, backtrack from the original single entity. The original single entity, uh, MLS, was pretty close to single entity. No, the, the league held all the the leases with with stadium facilities okay since there was no there was no uh um uh, specific soccer specific stadiums owned by individuals right the league did all the travel arrangements uh uh league negotiated with all the players everything pretty much was was with them there's a few things that were not and that's why you had the investor operators who sold tickets and did some local marketing things like that since then, there's been a lot of backtracking. Yeah, I was going to say. I, I, I go, it doesn't look re- really resemble anything like that at all. I mean, there's still a little bit of pieces of it, but it's it's gone way away from the league having co- full-on, complete central control. Exactly. Uh, the On the other hand, the, the big way you think about, uh, from an antitrust perspective, if you're thinking about single entity as a defense, and that's really what this is about, it's a defense, uh, then it depends on an antitrust lawsuit. Right. If you're thinking about single entity of defense, then you, the biggest the biggest feature of modern sports that would identify the teams as economically independent competitors would be open bidding right. for players. Right. That's the biggest thing. Right now, uh, it is true that Seattle is competing for ticket sales. Right. Uh, they want people to come to their stadium, and they get a share of those ticket sales that they get to keep instead of sending them all back to the league. Right. But that isn't – it's not as if Seattle's really competing with Portland for ticket sales, although I suppose in theory someone living in between them might uh, go to one, not the other. But that, it's not really true. Maybe Chivas USA was competing with the Galaxy, but if they were, uh, <laughs> they weren't doing very well, very well at it. Right, right, exactly. So, uh, so in any event – uh, but but open bidding among the teams would clearly establish economic independence of the units. There, uh, it's, it's one thing to compete on the field; that's fine. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to compete monetarily and have your profits tied to how well you do. And so, what the league was starting out with in these collective bargaining agreement negotiations, both this go around and back in 2010, right. they were starting around with the premise that we cannot have teams bidding against each other. That is that is antithetical both to the single entity defense, right. to a lawsuit, and it's also antithetical to the single entity business model, which is to, uh, to avoid cost spiraling. And uh, even if you have a salary cap, uh, uh, you're, you're losing your, your single entity defense just by having the free agency concept. So uh, that's what they started with. Right. And uh, in, in large part, the disagreement among 
the two sides was because they was ideological. They were coming right. at it from absolutely different views of the world. Right, which is which is how you can understand sort of the complete headbutting that they did, you know, in all these early negotiations. The players saying, we absolutely want free agency, and the owners saying, you absolutely can't have it. It's not even on the table. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I think what was going on is that the players and the owners were talking about free agency, uh, and they were using different uh, visions of it. Right. So uh, free agency, it's as if some of the players and some of the union heads were saying what we want is player movement. Right. And we want more money. Right. So those are two, those are two things that they wanted, player movement and more money. Right. And I think some of the players, some of the rank-and-file players were hearing free agency. We want post-Bozeman Europe, you know, post-1995 Europe, unrestricted, $80 million uh, contracts, things like that. Right. Or they were thinking, well, we know we don't want that, but we want NFL or Major League Baseball, uh, where their vision of free agency is bidding between two economically independent actors. Mm-hmm. Right? And when the league heard free agency, they're saying there's no possible way we can give you that. Right. We can give you that open bidding between economically independent actors. Uh, and I think the leadership of the union was thinking free agency in terms of this player movement and more money. Right. The rank and file was thinking in terms of open bidding among independent, economically independent actors. Right. And the league was saying, well, free agency means, means that open bidding. We can't do that. Right. And it, it isn't until, frankly, the, the whole use of the term free agency by the uh, – by the players probably was a miscalculation. If they had come up with a different term, they might have gotten uh, to the same result faster. All right. But, uh, you know, I, I suggested a way you could you could bridge the gap. Right, right. And this, uh, is, this is how we sort of got in contact, because after I, I basically came out and said you couldn't have free agency, which, again, I mean, you look at how the players were sort of presenting it and how, you know, I consider myself sort of one of those, one of those fans who's listening, um, how they were presenting it, it, it was, well, the players want free movement and, and bidding, you know, between teams. And, I, you know, I knew because of single entity and, and the little bit I knew about it that that's impossible. So their message to, you know, all of us was sort of we want 100% free movement and, and knowing the single entity structure, at least as well as I, as I thought I did, I, I knew that couldn't happen. But you had a solution, and it's something that you published on American Soccer Now. Why don't you, why don't you tell people what that was? Okay, yeah, sure. So the, the solution was uh, that was modeled off the University of California system, so I can't take credit for necessarily inventing it, although nobody uh, had, had looked to it as a, as a possible solution. The idea uh, is that uh, movement can be dis, disconnected from bidding. Okay. Uh, that is, you allow the players to move between teams, uh-huh. you can, and you can put any kind of restriction on when they can do that, and they did in the, in the ultimate agreement. But when they move, instead of the move being about uh, whether Team A can pay more than Team B, right. uh, there's a preset maximum raise, and that's it. And um, so in the University of California system, they do this uh, because uh, although many people think of the individual campuses, the University of California, UCLA, UC Irvine, UC San Diego, UC Berkeley, et cetera, as being different universities, they're not. 
they're all part of the University of California, and they're just different locations, different campuses. Uh, but all the property, all the assets, all the um, um, intellectual property rights, all owned by the regents of the University of California, gotcha. and all the professors are paid by the regents of the University of California. It doesn't matter what location you're working at, you are a professor at the University of California. Right. And so in that system, they have rules for inter-campus transfers of faculty. Mm-hmm. And the point is that they want to avoid exactly what the MLS owners want to avoid. They want to avoid open bidding against themselves effectively. Right. Um, you know, the recognition being that if UCLA it lures away a professor from UC Berkeley with the promise of a huge raise. The regents of the University of California are the ones who are going to have to pay more, uh, and they're going to have to pay more without any um, anybody else providing independent market value. They're just bidding against themselves. Right. And that's true in MLS. MLS uh, was worried that if uh, LA Galaxy lures away someone from Real Salt Lake, then uh, the, the 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 price for that is coming out of Real Salt Lake's pocket as just as much as it's coming out of LA Galaxy's pocket because right. they're bidding against themselves. They're all part of this single entity. Right. And so, what the way they solve that in the University of California system and the way I proposed for MLS is you set a maximum uh, raise percentage. Right. So in, in the University of California, it's described on the salary scale as you can move up one step, but no more than one step. You can offer more than, no more than one step uh, at the uh, higher school, uh, at, the, at the school that's trying to recruit you. Right. And, and that's what they did in, in MLS. Uh, and that's what I suggested in MLS. The, the percentage in University of California is something like it averages to about 8%, but the way the salary scale works if you're at step one to step two, it's actually a different percentage than if you're going from step seven to step eight. So it's not all that different from uh, uh, the kind of age-based or seniority-based system that ultimately was uh, adopted or reportedly adopted. The, uh, so the idea is that you can move. Right. So a professor can move or a player can move, but it's not going to be – it's not going to create a system of open bidding. It might create. It does create some market uh, market improvement for for a person. Right. right? You get a, a raise, and and the people who who no other team wants aren't going to get that raise. Right. Exactly. Not through that process. Yeah, it's not guaranteed. It's, just not, it, it's it's a it's they they create the cost certainty with this. So they know exactly what the possibility is. Right, right. And so that sort of protects the owners, like you said, the cost certainty. They understand what they're going to pay. So if we go to the the supposed CBA deal that was signed here, or not signed, but it, it's tentative agreement, and I think it's going to take months, you know, or at least a month for them to draw up all the all the term sheets, isn't it? It's not. It's this yeah, isn't going to be so a quick th- process. This is where the like the the knowing thing about lawyers comes in. <laughs> People think, okay, they signed the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement. Probably what they did is they agreed to a term sheet. Right. And the term sheet then has to be turned into legal language. Right. And then they have to agree to all that language. And as a practical matter, the language does matter a lot. And, you know, you can actually lose in the, in the, in the back end if the language is written in a way that's uh, sort of the, the least faithful to the term sheet agreement. But usually the, the parties are, are bargaining in good faith, and then they're drafting in good faith trying to capture the – the sentiments, and that's why it takes a little a little bit of time. It also takes some time to get the, the agreement 
distributed to all the players and have them vote on it. Yeah, yeah, it does. So, so this is a five-year deal. It goes through uh, 2019. So another uh, another five-year deal. I think Steve, we thought that perhaps uh, MLS was trying to get a, a longer term on this. Um, I heard eight years is is the number that popped out. Um, they they end up at five years. Um, I think that that you know everybody wants to say win or lose. Who won this right. and who lost this? And it's it's. A, it's kind of a ridiculous claim. I want to. I want to first say that nobody won and nobody lost. Um, I think both both sides of this are hurting um, and gave up something. Maybe some gave up more than others. If you really want to play that way, but nonetheless, five years is is the deal through twenty nineteen. So you'll get it in, in twenty twenty. A new a, a new CBA will have to go. Um, we talk about free agency for players. At least twenty eight years of age and eight years experience in MLS. That's sort of that tenure that you were talking right. about. So that's the restriction there. And then the, the cap amount of, of how much those max raises can be. And so um, just like uh, in your system, in the, uh, in the university of California system, step one to step two, that type of thing, you have players who make less than a hundred K can get a maximum amount of a raise of 25%. So if they're making a hundred thousand dollars, we'll just say hundred thousand dollars. Obviously they, the max they can make is $125,000. All right. And right. so, and so a hundred K to 200 K is a 20% raise. All right. And 200 K plus so making more than $200,000. The raise at maximum is 15%. But that doesn't mean that you couldn't have bidding between two teams, Steve, uh, to say the LA galaxy and Seattle Sounders and the galaxy are offering, you know, a, a player who's making under a hundred thousand dollars, a 23% raise and the Seattle Sounders are offering an 18% raise. There's still some wiggle room in there, but at most, they know where that cost is. Right. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, in this sense, there is a little bit of potential for um, more chinks in the armor of single entity. If, there's, if, the bidding, if, if they really thought the bidding was going to be um, one's going to offer 5%, the other's going to come back with 10% and then 15%. I don't think that's the way it's going to work. I uh-huh. think what... What usually happens in these deals is that it says no more than, but it becomes the, the ceiling becomes the floor. Right, right. That's so. A, yeah. So no, no less than you would not even consider an offer. An agent would never consider an offer that was less than the max. That was less than the max. Okay. I mean that makes sense. It's 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 going to be not huge amounts of money whenever you see this. And I think you and I yeah. had the discussion that basically it said you know yes you're getting some incentive. There is some boost there and and perhaps you're going to a place that you like better so there's there's an incentive there as well but i mean it's not exactly a hundred percent that if the seattle sounders offer that 20 25 percent raise or the, you know the 50 whatever the max is that you're going to be like well that's a better place for me to go um, right the part of the way to think about it is that the player's wanted player movement they i mean they're so far in the dark ages that they were uh, not able to move, forget about not able to get fair market value. They weren't able to move mm-hmm. if they wanted to stay in MLS. So they, they get that, again, after this seniority is passed, after, after they fulfilled their kind of tenure requirement. But they're not going to, uh, they're not going to really get enough money from the move to make it a good idea to move just for the money. Right. Uh, it, it's, so it, there's one way in which this is really attractive for the league, which is that uh, uh, is that players can, you know, if players have been loyal to the league, it's like a golden handcuff. If you're loyal to the league, stay with the league for a long time. Uh, then we're gonna we're gonna give you this kind of perk on the back end, you know. And it's uh, and the perk is is you can go kind of at least go out and see if there's somebody else who will, who will take you. You right. can look for a better system. You can you know you can do what what you think is best for your career, which might be an, an organization that treats you better. Uh, these are all 
ways in which the players can take advantage of this. Uh, but it, it is, it's, it's kind of like a, a vesting requirement right. um, is one analogy I used, right. uh, or, or, or a tenure requirement. It, it is a reason why a player might want to stay rather than you know, leave just, for, you know, just to try out Europe in like a lower league. And, and so there are players who've done that. For example, Edson Buttle right. went over to Bundesliga 2, or uh, Chad Barrett you know, right. went over. These, these are guys who didn't have a lot of success in Europe and you know, maybe that makes sense if they want to move, they can just stay here and they can move when they want. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that certainly adds that. Okay, I want to get to a couple more things before I let you go. I know I'm I'm already running a little short on time, but we'll we'll get to a couple more things. Designated player rule and, and the introduction of the designated player rule and how that even affects a single entity. There's there's lots of people that argue even with the the invention of the designated player rule that single entities sort of already on shaky legs. Is that something that you can you can talk about? Yeah, I think uh, designated player is certainly one of the arguments you'd use if you were filing a lawsuit to strike down the uh, the single entity defense. Right. Uh, designated player is um, it, it, by definition the individual teams are paying uh, the excess the, the excess over the, whatever max salary amount is, and the uh, rather than the league. And there's certainly teams seem to be competing for designated players, even though there's supposed to be some kind of an allocation right, right, uh, that's going on. So designated player doesn't look great for single entity. It's not impossible to imagine kind of the designated player concept, especially if in reality the designated player is uh, like Michael Bradley is naming where they want to go or Altidore naming where they want to go. Right. Uh, Jermaine Jones looks bad for it, but, but there, there's certainly plenty of examples where it looks like they're just saying this is where I want to go, and it's just the way the league is negotiating to attract it. But in general, it would definitely be an argument you'd raise. Uh, on why singlenity is no longer viable. Well, the other thing I want to get to is sort of the, this mediation. You, you, we know that the federal mediator was involved in hashing out this deal, and um, unfortunately, I have been a part of mediations in in my job. See, I don't even think most people even know what my real job is, but I work for a, a family-owned construction company. So um, lawsuits tend to happen um, right. when you're in construction, and, and that's just the way it is. But whenever you're involved with a mediator, a federal mediator, everybody wanted to say, are, you know, are, is everybody in the same room? And they are all like, yelling and screaming at each other back and forth. And, and from my understanding, can you sort of talk about the mechanics of mediation and sort of how that process works a little bit? Yeah, it, so mediation is not like a judge in a room with uh, two parties and, and, you know, like you see maybe on TV with court shows. Right. Mediation is where both parties are in different rooms, uh, and the mediator is really just trying to understand and crystallize what it is they want and then take that to the other side and uh, give them some sense of what's going on and why, uh, you know, is there not necessarily even suggesting a meeting, a meeting place. They're not, they're really trying to take those ideas and, and put them together and, and have the parties at least see what each other's talking about, how, how, they're, how they're working. In, in this case, you know, the interesting thing about the negotiations in this case is the last thing you want in a true negotiation right. is to have a whole bunch of people there, right? <laughs> if you had like a room full of, of player representatives right. and a room full of, you know, Clark Hunt and Jonathan Kraft, yeah, yeah. you know, that's not a recipe for, for settlement or for reaching resolution. That's, it's, it's a bunch of people who are coming in way too late to the process, who are not well-informed, who are um, maybe emotional, who are, who are trying to represent constituencies, really awful. So that's not what was happening, I'm sure. 
What's right. happening is you had a few key people who, who may have been truly negotiating, and the rest were really trying to decide how they would react to what the parties were, the progress of the negotiation. All right. And so the mediators trying to facilitate that. Right, right. And, and uh, the way that I always, or at least you know, in my experience with mediators, it's not so much what do you want, it's what can you live with. And, and right. they start chipping away at what you can live with. Whenever the, uh, the owners came out and said, hey, um, you know, we'll give free agency you know, after uh, uh, you have to be 32 years old and 10 years in the league, that type of thing. And everybody said, well, that's an insulting offer. Um, I jumped up and down as somebody who, who wants to see some movement for the players. I jumped in, up and down because I was like, yes, yes, it's on the right. table now. And, and that's so I was absolutely with you on that. that. That to me was, all right, that's a bargaining point. See, yeah. the, the point I made in my, my piece in American Soccer Now about this proposal for a – for, for free movement without open bidding, was that once you get the structure, the contours, the parameters of this kind of a deal, then you're just arguing about numbers, and the numbers are negotiable. So yes. the max raise percentage, heck, you could make it 500% if you wanted to. Yep. You, you know, what they stuck with was actually quite similar to what I, I said 8% is what California is doing, but, but I gave an example of Justice Art is moving for 20%. Right. You know, you, you could, but that's negotiable. The number of years uh, until you get it, that's negotiable. All of that is, is, is fine. Once they were willing to do anything, then they had walked down the road of, we could imagine this system working. My personal view of that is they're, they're comfortable that it doesn't threaten single entity, or at least any more than they're already threatened. And they were willing to give up the control. I think they liked having control. The, the league likes having control. They like that kind of, um, you know, a little bit of a kingmaker right. uh, view of the world. Uh, but um, once they're willing to say, you know, this isn't so bad uh, if, um, if, if Wondolowski has a chance to move at that point in his career, for that matter, he's been at San Jose so long we can't envision it. But if he did, it's not so bad. It uh, might even be good because it generates interest uh, buzz around this in the off season. Then, then I think that a deal could be made. Right, right. So, so that 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 sort of makes sense. Hey, I'll I'll give you the option. Do you want to do you want to hang around and talk about um, some of the more specifics of the CBA? Just uh, maybe not so much even the legal side of it. Just given some specifics in the next half, or do you have to go? It's up to you. No, I can, I can talk more. Okay, sure. okay. Let me go ahead and take a break then. I'm going to take a break. We're going to come back with, with Steve Bank. He's going to stay on in the next segment. So um, let's see here. I, I need to hit proper buttons and do all that stuff. All right, there we go. See, that wasn't so hard. All right, so what we're going to do, take a break. Whenever we come back, we're going to talk some more specifics of the collective bargaining agreement. I'm going to get into some, some more of the numbers, the, uh, the salary cap or the budget increase, all that stuff. And maybe we'll also talk about this sort of interesting conundrum that uh, Steve and I came into about designated players and collective bargaining and, and some fun stuff there. So you're listening to Corner of the Galaxy Short Corner on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Corner of the Galaxy, short corner on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I'm Josh Gessman. 
talking the collective bargaining agreement, also getting ready for the L.A. Galaxy's game against the Chicago Fire. Again, if you're listening to this on Friday, then that means the L.A. Galaxy are playing tonight. And you better be on your way to StubHub or at least pretending to be on your way to StubHub. It's time to tell your boss that you have a cough. Whatever you need to do to get out here early and get up to StubHub, uh, that's what you need to do. All right. uh, Let's see. As we come back here wanted to continue talking about the collective bargaining agreement and some of these specifics here and uh, he was nice enough to stay on Stephen Bank uh, UCLA School of Law is here to talk to us to, to give us his legal knowledge now maybe just more some some speculation as we continue uh, as we continue talking here Stephen um, we we talked about five years we talked about free agency 28 years and eight years of, uh, of experience in MLS we also went over the cap raises and and basically how that works about if you make less than a hundred thousand you get a 25 percent raise if it's between a hundred thousand and two hundred thousand it's 20 percent two hundred thousand um, your max raise can be 15 percent so that's how it is here's the here's the other stuff or some of the other numbers that we're sort of coming into now is that the salary cap um, looks like it, it, it is going up at 7% per year. It was 5% per year um, after the last collective bargaining agreement. So every year you should see a bump of 7%. That puts right around this 2015 salary cap at $3.3 million up from about 3.1 or 3.2 right in there, some, some, somewhere where it starts out. Uh, by 2019, that should top out around $4.2 million. Um, so those of you looking for a substantial increase in the salary cap, uh, you kind of you kind of don't get it until the, the end. The $4.2 million is sort of where I was hoping that it would start. I don't know if you have any opinion on that, Steve, about the negotiation. Maybe, maybe they left some money on the table there. Well, I, I think that the players, by making player movement their number one priority, uh, probably cost themselves some money. That, that is, uh, if they had said, all right, we're going to take that off, if they had pushed hard on it and then completely took it off, right. they might have been able to get extract some more money out of, the, out of the salary cap. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it makes some sense. I mean, listen, we were told all along by the players, and the players were one who were driving this PR campaign. I, don't, I certainly don't think the owners were the ones driving any sort of PR campaign because I could – couldn't tell you what it was besides some really bad logic uh, as most of us um, would scratch our heads at anything they said. Um, you know, the, the PR campaign that came out was about free agency and it was about getting paid more money, but it was free agency first. And, and that's sort of what they stuck with. So i um, not surprised to see a, a, a moderate raise in the salary cap. So nothing super exciting there. Um, they're, they're, the really big news, though, Steve, at least in my mind, the really big news was the min- minimum salary raise, people. And that goes from right. a minimum salary of thirty six five um, up to $60,000. I mean, somebody said that you can't live on a L.A. off of $60,000, and I almost choked. And I said, you can, you can do – if you're a young kid, like most of these people who are going to be making sixty, you can live in L.A. off of sixty. I'm not saying you can Manhattan Beach on the beach. But you can make right, it in right. L.A. Yeah, yeah, you're not you're not living next to Landon Donovan, but you're doing okay. You know, I actually had one question about that. I, I'm not positive. I'm not fully convinced that the 36.5 is going up to 60,000 because my understanding under the prior CBA is that they they actually distinguished between developmental players yes. and the minimum salary for senior players. Yeah. And so the minimum salary for senior players. Was something like forty-eight thousand. Forty, and so that year, yeah, so that would that, that would raise up to sixty. Yeah, there. I think there still is going to be a class. I heard that that possibly the those those developmental players would come up into the possible fifty range. Okay. Um, so, right. so so it's not quite going. So when people look at this and say, "Wow, it was thirty-six-five, and now it goes up to 60, it's not quite. You know, BJ Bradford Jameson. You know, going from thirty-six-five to sixty thousand. 
um, it'd be more like the Dan Gargans and, and those folks. Yeah, yeah the, uh, the, the absolute minimum they could make is sort of in that 60000 and and most most of those senior players count, uh, you know, get way more than the 60000 Well, not way more, maybe like right. 80000 90000 100 in right. there is, is pretty standard. But, you know, a lot of people raise the question, and it's it's sort of easy, easily explained once you remember the, the roster rules because it sounds like the roster sizes are staying the, staying the same, up to 30 players for a team. Right. Um, and then we get into the players one through 20 and who counts against the cap because people are saying hey you didn't raise the cap that much but you're given these minimum salaries up to 60,000 and you have to understand that most of those minimum salaries are going to be outside of those one through 20 players and so there's not there's not a huge hit against the cap yeah I I I saw that argument and I thought wait a minute these guys understand it's this is a it is a jump what it what it sounds to me like it's you're talking about a couple more Mid-level, strong veteran types, maybe from Europe. You know, the even it's sort of like hundred thousand to two hundred thousand dollars players, which right. is, which which would increase quality if you can if you can bring them up. Yeah, uh, if you can bring them in from somewhere, that's that definitely increase quality. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, those those are the targets. That's sort of what you're looking at. I mean, everybody's sort of getting a a, a general little bump there. And you know, as we always said with the salary cap, regardless of free agencies, sort of a zero sum game there. You're not going to cost yourself any more money because there's still a a salary cap. And I would like to sort of put out a little bit of a of a of disclaimer there is no technically salary technical salary cap yeah, in major league soccer budget, yeah. yeah it's called a budget it's a budget right. number so that's a or a budget it, limit and, and this actually goes into something you and i were talking about before it's um off off uh, um air the, the so it's a salary budget and even the budget is fuzzy number budget <laughs> totally that fuzzy. Is, yes the allocation money can increase your budget uh um, you know, being cocking up Champions League uh, can increase, winning can increase, uh, expansion teams get more. Uh, you know, the budget is is this sort of fuzzy thing. Plus, you know, I'm not even sure that um, there there are more exceptions for just you know we we feel you need it, we feel you deserve it, we feel yes. you know we we did something, we're gonna we're going to reward you this way. And that, to me, is one of the single-entity features of the league, which is they don't, they don't publish a lot of their rules. They don't publish a lot of the, They're not transparent. And I think, as I said this to you, I think that the lack of transparency is, a, is not a design flaw. It's a, it's a feature, yeah, it, yeah, a design feature. You just, it's, it's in order to be flexible to these kinds of things. You just made everybody's heads explode whenever you said it's a, it, it is a design feature, single-entity. It absolutely is. When you said it, I said that's, that's 100% what it is. And I actually said to you, you was that I kind of like the fact that there's not transparency. Again, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get hate emails for saying that. I, right, I kind of right. like it because it gives us like so much to talk about and so much to complain about, and it makes it. Whenever you talk to an impassioned MLS fan, somebody who knows a little bit of the background and how not transparent it is, those are the best conversations because you get into right. it saying like, "Oh yeah, well they just like you know magically made Jermaine Jones go over to the New England Revolution. They flipped a coin. You know, it's it's stuff like that 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 drives us crazy. But also, I don't know. They it's, it's kind of why I love the league. I know people's heads are exploding. It, it's okay. But the, tr- but the transparency thing, like you said, it's a feature of single entity. They need to be able to fudge and move to adapt to how this league has changed. And you have to say in 20 years, it's changed a bunch. Right. Well, and, and again, my view is that transparency is critical when you want to ensure fair competition. When you're a single entity, you're trying to ensure the best returns to the league. 
right. to the league's owner operators, and so and that may may or may not involve fair competition. Uh, and I know people hate to hear that from the fans' perspective. This is competition: Portland Timbers against Seattle Sounders, grudge match, everything. And I'm sure the league likes the fans to think about it that way, but. Uh, but when it push comes to shove, they're all getting together at a board meeting and saying, we got to get Michael Bradley into the league. We don't care how we do it. Right, right. we got to get Clint Dempsey into the league. We don't care how we do it. Yeah, and, and that has – and I think we've seen you know that both benefit and sort of – at times, I, I think it gives the league sort of a black eye. But ultimately, right. this is about the owners. And you know people, I think, have sort of said that – you know uh, I don't know. I, I see all sorts of people on Twitter that are talking um, – you know the players completely gave up on this and they had a chance to strike. Uh, the players were very close to a strike. I believe it was 18 to right. 1 at one point of, of uh, teams that were ready to strike. Um, and that was Tuesday night, maybe even. Right. Um, so, so it was really close to a strike, and and it ended up not happening. Which, again, I mean, you have to look at some of these players who are making the seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year. It's tough to live without a paycheck in some of these cities at that seventy to eighty thousand dollar mark. And so, um, you know, I don't necessarily blame the players for not striking. In fact, I'm happy they didn't. I want to see soccer. That was always my goal. Um, right. So, right. so I, 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 yeah, I wrote an article that suggested that. Uh, a strike was probably pretty futile because uh, they were not going to get the true big-time major league free agency with open bidding through, through, through a strike. No one's ever gotten that through a strike. In fact, I've seen these congratulatory uh, quotes and, and texts and emails, people saying, hey, we got it without a work stoppage or a, or a, or a lawsuit. You know, this is... Uh, Legendary. This is you know first time. Not true. They did what they got was some player movement. They to get open bidding free agent to change the business model of the league. Right. Which is what Major League Baseball did. Which is what NFL did when when they dropped the reserve clauses. To get that, you got to go to court. And a, a strike wouldn't have done it. So if they had done a strike, maybe they could have gotten it down to six years, you know, 24 and six or something like that. Maybe they could have gotten the max raise percentage increased, but I'm telling you, they would not have compensated themselves for the loss of revenue. Well, well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. I think if you're a fan, you're, you're okay with this. Uh, Granted, it's a five-year deal. This is going to get renegotiated. I mean, you know, start preparing for 2019 and and 2020 and, and, and the off season then, because it's going to be as contentious as it was this time. And don't expect a deal to get done until the last minute again. I mean, I guess that's just sort of the nature of negotiations i would think yeah. that i would think that there there are smart enough people and these these people are all you know a lot of the owners obviously very smart businessmen um some of the player reps quite honestly are some of the smartest people i know i know todd donovan um in the la galaxy locker right. room one of the major leaders for the players there is extremely bright extremely intelligent i don't think he was intimidated at all i do uh, i do plan on trying to get him um on the show to talk more about exactly what happened and 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 that so we'll, we'll sort of stay tuned for that as as we go but um Nonetheless, I think this was, you know, it hurt both sides. I think both sides bled a little bit. And if that's what it takes, if, if both sides go away a little angry, I think you sort of did your job here. Yeah, that, no, this, this is a compromise. The, the owners didn't want to give up control. The players uh, wanted movement. Did the players want movement with open bidding? Yes. Did the owners want uh to maintain their ability to hang on to players forever in perpetuity, at least while they stay in MLS, yes. So they gave up. They both gave up something. That's that is what negotiations are. Frankly, they had to make the big advance the players made was getting the acknowledgement of some player movement, open player movement, as opposed to uh, reentry draft type movement. Right. And once they did that, 
I actually think the next the next negotiations are easier because then it's a number. It, yeah, it's you know? always going to be a number from now on. Right. It's, I mean, in, in, until unless and until they want true bidding, and, and I think the major reason why true bidding is is never going to be probably worth it, or not never, that's too long to say, but at the moment it's not worth it, is because you can always get true bidding outside the league. Right, right, right. And 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 that's always going to be uh, one of those options. All right. So yeah. I, I think that does it. I, I want to wrap up our conversation. And I want to sort of point it just a little bit once again, remind everybody, LA Galaxy versus Chicago Fire. Yes, there is a league. Yes, they're actually playing in 2015. The season kicks off with your LA Galaxy, the defending champions, um, will play against the Chicago Fire at StubHub at 7 p.m. That game is on Unamas. Um, use the SAP function as everybody and their brother has been telling you, the LA Galaxy have been telling you, MLS Soccer has been telling you. Um, if you want to get that in the English feed, otherwise enjoy it in Espanol. Um, I think I'll be at the game, so I, I won't worry about that too much. But we'll have full coverage of that game, talk about that, get you sound from that game, all that fun stuff coming up and more. Uh, Steve, I want to thank you for coming on. You didn't have to stick around as long as you did. I know you had a, had a busy day, and uh, I certainly appreciate you uh, helping us understand this from the legal perspective. My pleasure, Josh. It's been great. Is there is there any place that they can uh, they can reach you on Twitter on uh, on Facebook at American Soccer Now? Where would you like people to follow you? Well, American Soccer Now is where I've posted um, most of my stuff. I, I I am otherwise not on social media. Of course, you can see me on my website on uh, law.ucla.edu. But otherwise. Uh, just look out in American Soccer Now. There you go. See a true off the grid kind of guy. See that's 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 mm-hmm. what you get. This is a this is a legal mind at work right here. So we're we're happy to have you on. Thanks again for stopping by, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again. Great, thank you. All right. Well, that does it for me as well. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I've left off. Obviously, we're going to have a, uh, a a lot of fun stuff coming up this rest of this year as the league kicks off. We actually know we're going to have games now, so that puts some other plans into effect. So um, if you're looking for me on Twitter, it's at Jay Guessman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N. And of course, go to cornerofthegalaxy.com where you can find all of our articles. There's game previews up there right now. You can check that out. All of our great writers are doing a wonderful job. We're going to try to continue that throughout. So www.cornerofthegalaxy.com for all of that information. All right, uh, that does it for me. Enjoy the game. Good luck to the LA Galaxy for the 2015 season. Good luck to all your listeners. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a good year. It's gonna be good. I'm telling you. I'm feeling I'm feeling good about it. So I'm Josh Guessman. You've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy, short corner on cornerofthegalaxy.com. We will catch you next time. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy Short Corner Edition on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. And for all of your independent LA Galaxy news, discussion, and entertainment, including this podcast, head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. Corner of the Galaxy and its related podcasts are part of Backheel.com. Backheel.com is a collection of soccer podcasts and multimedia offerings covering soccer around the world. You can follow them at Backheel.com. Fans, thanks for listening. We ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you here again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everyone.